provoke you to envy, but, but those of you who are prone to envy, you may be provoked. This is, this is my second service, and so I've already had a chance to worship once. Okay. You haven't had that opportunity. This is my second time of worship. I've already had an opportunity to meditate on Scripture. You haven't had that opportunity yet. And I got here at a couple minutes before 8 o'clock, and I am parked around 20 feet outside the door there. So, but at the same time, you can counter with, I've had the privilege of, of being with, with many of you this weekend, and I've had the special privilege of being able to spend time with your pastors and your staff. And you can counter with, all right, you got the good parking place, but we have the great staff and the great pastors here. I've had an opportunity to hear of their, their love for you and, and their prayerfulness for you. So it's, been, it's just been a real treat for me to, to see the, the behind-the-scenes care that, that many people have for you. If you have a Bible with you, I'm going to be looking at Psalm 130 this morning. I'm going to look at it in the NIV, uh, because I noticed you had an NIV in the back there. Uh, and, and there are a couple of reasons why I want to, to talk about Psalm 130. It's related in some ways to our, concert, or our conference from Friday night and Saturday. The, the psalm, it does two things. Obviously, when you're talking about fears and anxieties... You are talking about very difficult things in life. Okay? And this particular psalm, it certainly talks about very, very difficult things in life. That's, that's one reason we want to speak about this psalm. But there's a second reason as well. I think we noticed that, that during our time together, that one of the, it's very simple, but one of the, the key features of followers of Christ who have anxiety and fear, which all of us have anxieties and fears, one of the key features for us is to be able to speak of those anxieties and fears from our heart to the Lord. Now that seems very, very simple, but, but apparently since, it is, since, since God's beseeching us to speak from our heart to Him appears so often in Scripture and especially in the Psalms, apparently we are not that good at it. And Psalm 130 is going to identify the struggles we have in life, and it's going to lead us in being able to speak to the Lord. So it's a, it's a wonderful psalm. I look forward to it with you. The Martin Luther has spoken about this particular psalm as a Pauline psalm. One time he was asked, what are your favorite psalms? He saw, talked about the Pauline psalms, because they feel so much like you're reading a Pauline letter. And so we will hear echoes of the Apostle Paul through, throughout this particular psalm. One of the advantages of Psalm 130 is that there are some psalms that you can read, and they are very specific. For example, the, the, the psalmist is being pursued by evil people who are trying to kill him. Okay? Now, 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 some of you may experience that a little bit, but most likely it's because you're paranoid if you experience that. Uh, but, but this particular psalm is one that, that invites all of us in. Because, you see, it doesn't identify specifically the dire circumstance. Uh, and, and, and it does that purposely because it says, I know humanity, okay, the psalmist is saying, and I know all of us encounter dire circumstances. And what the psalmist is saying, he's speaking about dire circumstances that leave him near the point of death, which is another way of inviting all of us in because, because there's no greater suffering that you're going to be able to experience 
that this psalmist doesn't identify. So it's a wonderful psalm, and, and it draws us in. One of the things that we want to keep track of in this particular psalm is in any desperate psalm, you find the names of the Lord occurring multiple times. So let's see if we can keep track of those names of the Lord. And, and it goes something like this. There was, a, there was a time I remember I was taking my daughter. She was probably six years old at the time. And we had an errand to do. And, and she, she ended up playing with something. And something heavy fell on her toe. And it just hurt her horribly. And, and she did something that the both breaks a father's heart and warms it simultaneously. She said, all she said was, Daddy, 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 Daddy. That's, you know, sometimes when your agony is, is, is in extremes, that's all you can say. Okay. Is there someone around you who loves you and cares for you? You, you call out their name. And that's, that's what the psalmist is doing. Eight times in this particular short psalm, you will hear the name of the Lord. Two particular names of the Lord. The psalm will come to us in four different stanzas. And so we'll just we'll, we'll follow one stanza and then the next and the next and then the next. And he is offering us, in some ways, a template. He is, it's so easy for us to get stuck in the difficulties of life. And, and he's saying, here, follow me. Okay. Here's the way you can, you can walk in the midst of this. And here's the way you can walk together as, as a people. So here is Psalm 130. He jumps right into it and says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. More specifically, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, the God who keeps his promises, the God who is so powerful, he rescued us from the Egyptians, and we need to be rescued again. The God who who reveals his name so we can call him by name, and the God who knows us by name. That's, that's what the psalmist is leading us to do. O Lord, O Master, let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. There's been a passage that has, has been impressed in my heart over the last few years, and it's a passage in Hosea 7.14. It's a fairly simple passage. It, it says there are two groups of people. One group will cry on their beds, the other will cry out to the Lord. Those are the two possibilities. In the midst of our difficulties, we will cry on our beds and we will cry out to the Lord. And, and do you see that in this stanza, we are doing something very, very profound. We are doing something that only the Spirit of God could lead us in. What is natural to us in the midst of our despairing times, and by the way, you know, the psalmist is saying out of the depths, and the depths are near death. You are, you, are, you are clinging by your very fingernails. These are very, very dire circumstances. And, and what is he doing? He's not crying on his bed, but he's crying out to the Lord. If you have ever cried out to the Lord in the midst of dire circumstances, be blessed, recognizing this is the power of God working in your life. If you have not, here is your opportunity to practice it along with the psalmist. So he says, welcome, <laughs> join me. In the name of the Lord who hears, who has structured relationships in such a way that when something is on our heart, we speak it to those who love. We, 
when, when we have hopes and dreams and fears and miseries, what do we do? We don't keep it to ourselves. We, we, we offer it to those who, who we love and love us. In that, our relationships are structured uh, like our relationship with God himself who speaks to us from his heart and who invites us to speak from our own hearts to him. So, in one sense, we could stop at any place in this psalm and, and say, okay, we're done for the day. Okay. This, this is more than enough. Okay. To, to identify the difficulties on your heart and to simply speak them to the Lord. Saying his name, okay, your master and your Yahweh. You are rescuing God who you know by name and he knows you by name. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Yahweh. Hear my voice. O Lord, let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. Perhaps that's, that's what you will do today. You will just, you'll say, Psalmist, that's enough for me. Okay. That one particular stanza, that is enough for me to practice for the next decade. And, and with you, I want to be able to speak from my heart to the Lord who I didn't realize how much he desired to hear the things around my heart. Okay. But the psalmist goes on. And, and we're, at this point, we're, we're, in some ways, we're eager to hear where he's going to take us. Because you see, the situation is so desperate, he needs immediate rescuing. He, he, needs, he needs something quick. Okay. Otherwise, he is going to fall into the abyss itself. And so we're wondering, what is God going to do? Well, he is the one who rescues Israelites from Egypt, the greatest country in the world at that particular time. And so somehow, we expect he is going to swoop in and, and rescue us, and everything will be fine. Okay? We'll all live happily ever after. That's, we're, we're anticipating, but we don't know exactly how he's going to do it. But, um, but here's the passage. Would you have anticipated this? And, and this is where the passage becomes very much of a Pauline psalm. What do you do when you're desperate? Okay. Where do you go? What is the next thing that you can say to your God who hears? If you, O Lord, if you, O Yahweh, if you, the one who hears and rescues your people, you who are attentive to their cry for mercy, if you kept a record of sins, O Master, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness. Therefore, you're to be feared. Therefore, we are controlled by you. Therefore, we are in awe of you. What do you think about that? Here it is, you're in the most desperate moments of life, and, and the psalmist says, follow me, let me give you the most important thing that will be your most profound rescue, and he talks about forgiveness of sins. And, and here's where we find him doing a Pauline psalm. You, know, you think of the book of Ephesians, where the apostle Paul says, praise be to the God and Savior of our Lord Jesus Christ has blessed us in the heavenly realms with everything in Christ. And Paul goes on and he says, in Jesus there is redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins that according to the riches of God, he has lavished on us. 
That's what the psalmist is saying. Now, I guess, I guess my question for myself and, and for all of us, how does that sound to you? Okay? Does that sound like a sweet rescue at this point? Okay? Now, don't forget, it, it, what we're going to find with this psalmist is, is he's going to be hanging like this in the beginning. And in some ways, he's going to be hanging like that at the end. There is no, we don't have evidence that he has been rescued for what, from whatever the predicament might be. This is where he goes. And we can understand why he's going this way because essentially what he's saying is there is only one thing that could separate me from my unfailing, loving God and Father, and that is my sins. <laughs> That's the only thing that could separate me from, my pro- him from his promises, and now I know him, and my, even my sins cannot separate me from him because he alone among all the gods is the one who forgives. Now, to... To strengthen this particular stanza, perhaps there are a few things we need to do. One is we, we need to remember that we, we, we cannot minimize our problem with sin. And, and here, what, what we need to do is not just think how horrible we are. We need to open our eyes and be realistic about the condition of our own heart. Now, for example... Um, if you ask my children, and I have asked my children this before, I, I, at one time I asked my children, you know, you know, kids, do you see any particular sin in me? My children are older now. Uh, and, and, uh, and I said it, and they started laughing, okay? which meant, uh, you know, and they started laughing. They said, oh, yeah, we see a lot of sin in you, Dad, um, uh, which you know, I gave them credit for insight. And, 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 but here's the funny thing. They, they went to two particular situations in my life. One of them was around five years before. One of them was around ten years. One was five years before when I was painting the house and I didn't cut the bushes back enough and I was getting scraped by all the bushes around the house. And I, I didn't do as well as I hoped to do. Uh, the other was a time when we were lost on vacation and I became just a tad impatient uh, and it was obvious. Now, I don't know about you, but you're my kids. They live with me and they only... They only point out two particular sins in my life. I'd say I'm doing pretty well, don't you think? Yeah. <laughs> and that's the myth. That's the myth. If, I'm, if I think I'm doing pretty well, I read this particular passage and I say, it's forgiven my sins. Well, you know, that's, that's not that big a deal. I mean, I don't sin that much. I mean, if you follow me around, I'm not like a really, really bad guy. And so here we have the privilege of the Sermon on the Mount and the Lord's Prayer, which says every day, you know, to be led in Lord, forgive me. <laughs> Forgive me as I forgive others. Okay? The, we know the nature of our hearts, and we can look good on the outside, but I know, I know something of my own heart. I know its appeal to comfort. Okay? I know the selfishness that exists in my own soul. Uh, I, I know the frustrations that I can have where I stand in judgment of other people. I know my desire for reputation. Uh, I, I can see those things, and it doesn't take long to see them, and now all of a sudden, this particular stanza sounds a lot better. Okay. Whoa. This is the God who forgives sins. Okay. And, and there are many. Therefore, and, and the word fear here, you understand how the word fear in Scripture is a bit broader than, than our sense of being afraid. The things you, are, you fear are the things that control you. Okay? And what the psalmist is saying is, given the fact that you are the one who forgives sins, 
I am in all of you. I am controlled by you even more than I am controlled by my circumstances. And you see something like this taking place where, where here's all this weight in the person's life. Okay? And, and it's just weighing the person down. The weight of their circumstances are just overwhelming. And, and here the psalmist is saying, and these weights, the weight of this suffering will now be counterbalanced by the mercies of God that says there is forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. And, and I'm, I'm using actually a Pauline imagery from 2 Corinthians 4. And he talks about the weight of knowing forgiveness of sins. Makes these sufferings here. It doesn't erase them, but it makes them feel light in comparison. That's, follow the psalmist on this. See where he leads us. He is in the most desperate of situations and he needs something dramatic and powerful and he needs it fast. And, and this is where he goes. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord and Master, who could stand? But with you, and only with you, there is forgiveness for people who have been your enemies. For people who who every day can identify some hints of rebellion in their own hearts against the king, and you don't rebel against the king. Therefore, because of your forgiveness, you indeed are to be feared. Uh, Some mentors that you can have in in this process of accentuating the beauty of this stanza would be, two people come to mind in particular. One obviously would be the Apostle Paul. See, the Apostle Paul comes up and he preaches on Psalm 130 and he gets to the second stanza and he says, could you imagine anything better than this? And then he says to you, because I am the chief of sinners. (laughs) That's what the Apostle Paul says in in one of his letters. He is the chief of sinners. (laughs) And he he says, "I, I argue with you on this one. Don't think that your sins are greater than mine. I indeed am the chief of sinners. And because he lives without understanding you can, you can just see the weights counterbalancing and, and joy beginning to replace the, the misery that he spoke of just, just a couple of verses before. Let's, let's, let's meditate on this just a little bit longer because this, this really is the turning point of the psalm. Sometimes... We can minimize our own sin. And so forgiveness of sins does not quite seem that grand. Uh, other times we can, we can minimize the, the cost of our sins. We can think that you know, we bring a pigeon or two to the temple and a sacrifice is made and off we go and everything is fine. But, but it goes something like this. There's a, uh, there's a movie uh, that was popular in, in our parts uh, a number of years ago called Babette's Feast. Um, not knowing French, I was told it was in French, but I couldn't really tell. Um, it was a, a movie of, a, of, a, of a, a woman chef in Paris whose reputation was she was the grandest chef in the country. But through a series of circumstances, things went bad, not by her own doing. And she ended up in a, a small little village where people had lived their entire lives and she was a shunned outsider. Okay? Uh, never spoken to by the people in the village. 
This went on week after week, month after month. A woman who was, 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 was rejected by the people around her. And, and one day you see Babette going to the market and she begins to gather all this produce. One day you see her going to a market and apparently she had ordered something special from Paris and it came to that village, special delivery of the day and she begins to accumulate all this food and you begin to realize that Babette, who had a little bit of a nest egg from, from her days as a chef, is spending her entire nest egg on a meal. And she spends the next couple days preparing the meal. And then she invites the the neighbors. They reluctantly come to the meal because she's an outsider. They, They sit down at her table and she graciously serves them everything she has. She has nothing left and she's serving this beautiful meal. And they sit there in dour silence, except for one person. Okay. And, and there was a man who had traveled the world a bit and had been to Paris. And he said, this is the finest meal I've ever had. It rivals, it rivals a meal I had one day in Paris okay, that, was, that was done by the, the best chef perhaps in the world. And, and then you can see this man being taken up in the event and all of a sudden he realized where he is. he is. He is at a dinner table where somebody has sacrificed everything for that particular meal. And, and his response is, is the kind of response the scripture seeks to evoke in us as we sit at the banquet feast of the Lamb and realize that nobody paid for this meal. It is, it is the lamb that was slain was the only one who could pay for this kind of lavish extravagance. And, and the man at the table, he becomes more and more excited and more and more animated. And, and, and soon, he, everybody else sitting around the table, they, they, they speak with enthusiasm. The community is developed. You see this sort of heavenly love develop. And this is... This is our response to the second stanza. That that the cost has been great. And that that is sobering indeed. But but if you're buying a Christmas present for a child, you don't want the child necessarily to dwell too long on the great cost. Daddy, you shouldn't have ever paid this much money for it. What you want, your joy is is for a child to be satisfied in, in a wonderful, wonderful gift. That's where the psalmist is taking us. He's saying, there are dire circumstances. Speak them to the Lord. And as you speak them to the Lord, now remember the greatest rescue of all that he has given to us. Where we have offered him rebellion. He has has paid the price of his own life. And, And therefore, we are more controlled by him than than we are by our circumstances. Now, that, that again might be a place where we could stop and say, this is, this is more than we need. Okay. For if you've ever been stuck not knowing what to do with the very difficult circumstances and the pains of life, this is, this is enough for the next decade, isn't it? <laughs> to, to practice calling out to the Lord. And then, and then isn't this what happens in in the midst of our suffering. 
when things are going well, the, you know, it's as if Satan lurks, and we can hear his question, is God good? And we open our eyes, and we look around, and we say, well, you know, we have enough health. We have enough money for, for gas to get home. We have enough money for dinner for tomorrow night. Um, we're in a community where people are talking to each other. Yeah, God is good. God is good. Okay. When, times are, when times seem to be going well, it's easy to make a stand against Satan's question. And this is one of the questions he's asked for all eternity. However, however, <laughs> bring a difficult circumstance, perhaps one you're experiencing right now, or bring a hard one tomorrow, Difficulty on the job, difficulty in your relationship, uh, physical diagnosis all of a sudden that comes at you, and all of a sudden, this stalking lion who, who's, who keeps perseverating with his question, is God good? Now it throws you for a loop. Okay. Let, me, let me think about that one for a second. Okay. You know, to tell you the truth, you know, would a good father really do these things to his child? I mean, would, 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 if, if, if I could control, if I had a child who was going through these things, I would never allow them to go. Is, I don't know if he's good. I don't know. Okay. Well, the, the psalmist is anticipating these things. And he says, close your eyes and see by faith. Okay. And in a sense, this Pauline psalm is saying, there, when things are especially dire, there is only one place you can go to be persuaded that God is good. So you close your eyes and you recognize while we were enemies. That's when he, he relentlessly pursued us and pursued us and pursued us. And when we rejected him in return, he pursued us again and pursued us to a death on the cross as the payment, as the redemption that this particular psalm talks of then we can say, is he good? Is he good? He, he who gave up his own son. Okay. Why do I think he is no longer good? Okay. But he is instead has given us all good things along with Jesus Christ. Okay. How are you doing with this particular psalm so far? You know, do you, we want mastery of the first, being stunned by the fact that we have a God who so speak to me from your heart. He, he knows our hearts perfectly, but the nature of relationships is he shares his heart with you and, and we share our hearts in return. How are you doing with that one? The second stanza, is it? Does it have that rescuing power that, that the psalmist gives you hopefully an enthusiasm for? Well, that's one we can certainly all grow in as we fight spiritual warfare in the midst of our sufferings. But the psalmist goes on. Now we're, we're intrigued. He, he, he sent us a different direction than we anticipated after, after his initial stanza. Where is, where is he going to go now? Notice this. He says, I wait for the Lord, the one I know by name and the one who knows me by name. My soul waits. And in his word, I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than the watchmen wait for the morning. More than the watchmen wait for the morning. Now, some of you are probably familiar with the nature of the Hebrew language. And in the Hebrew language, when you find repetition, 
It is drawing your attention to what is being said. And it's magnifying what is being said. The, the classic illustration of that in Scripture is the passage in Isaiah. When we come into the throne room of the king, and we don't hear the once holy, but we hear holy, holy, holy. And by the time you hear the third holy, it accentuates in the sense the holies that came before it, and you're on your knees before the Lord. Well, in, in one of the, the rare cases in Scripture, the psalmist is saying, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits for the Lord. My soul waits for the Lord. More than the watchmen wait for the morning. More than the watchmen wait for the morning. There's something sort of pastoral about it. But recognize each one intensifies the waiting before it. Here is, here is a psalmist who is saying, now that I know nothing can separate me from the love ultimately of Jesus Christ, then bring it on and I can wait. Because I know that he is with me, and if he has forgiven my sins, he's given me everything I need in the midst of this particular difficulty. How do you do at waiting, at persevering? Isn't it true, the nature of, of, of suffering, and the more intense the suffering, this is, this is the case, it feels like this eternal present. <laughs> suffering, it just makes time go so slow. Okay. And, and here is the psalmist who is saying, now that I have everything I need in knowing there's forgiveness of sins, now I can wait. Let's think a little bit about the nature of his waiting. There, there are different kinds of waiting. For example, the, when, when my wife's family gathers together, there are six children and two parents. And, and, and for some reason, they always tell this one story of, of how they would go to, for these monthly ice cream cones. It was a very poor family. They had a Volkswagen Beetle, uh, if you know what a Volkswagen Beetle is. This was before the era where you had to wear seat belts. Seat belts did not exist. And, and so on ice cream day, all eight of them would pile into this Volkswagen Beetle. And the moment they got in, it was, it was a mile and a half or two to the, to the ice cream store, they would, they, would, they would start in unison, we want ice cream, we want ice cream. And by the time you, you, know, you get to the mile, it's deafening. And knowing my mother-in-law, she was probably joining in the chorus with the kids because she wanted ice cream as well. Uh, now that's, that's one way to, that's the common way to wait. Okay? Where, you know, you just, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? There's, that's a common way. Um, impatience, okay. questioning you know, the person. Dad, are you actually going to take us for ice cream right now? How come we're not there yet? That's, that's the common way to wait. There's another way to wait as well. So, so a man loves a woman. Okay. And he really loves her. Okay. And some, in, in, in an act that seems most unfair to me, but it must have must have been appropriate in the day. The deal was that he had to work seven years for this particular woman. That's, that is a long time. That is a lot of waiting. <laughs> you know, it, 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 as I put myself in that story, it's seven years, it feels like around 50. But, but when there is love, when there is this expectancy, more than the watchman waits for the morning, I will be with the one that I love. Okay, I, will, 
I will know her face to face. When, when you have that kind of waiting and perseverance, you, you recognize I'm talking about the story of Jacob and Rachel. It feels like a day. It feels like a day. Okay. Could you imagine such a thing? In the midst of difficult circumstances that can seem like they are just plain unending. Okay. Could you imagine... Here, here the psalmist, he's taking you along. He says, stay with me now, stay with me. This is, this is the way we are all going. This is a psalm for all of us. We're all going to walk together in this. And you recognize that there are no promises in Scripture that our sufferings will be resolved quickly. Okay. Um, but the promise is that he will never leave us or forsake us in the midst of, us, in the midst of it. And, and, and when love, unfailing love, is inserted into pain, there is, a, there is a waiting with an expectancy that, as, as Hebrews chapter 10 says, in just a, it's just a wee moment he's going to be here. Okay. He's, talking to, he's talking to people who are going through really abject suffering, people who are in prison, people who are suffering for their faith, and the writer says, just a tiny moment, and he who is coming, he will not delay. Okay. Now, there's something very distinctly Pauline in this particular stanza. You see, when you encounter the word mourning in Scripture, as in the sun rising, it tends to be a sign that you're thinking resurrection. So here, in a sense, is the psalmist saying, I can wait, because because somehow, somehow my God, who, who, who takes away sins, he conquers death itself. And the resurrection is coming. The resurrection that he was looking forward to very, you know, through a cloudy glass, but we can look back to and, and sing about as we, as we sang this morning. More than the watchmen wait for the morning, more than the watchmen wait for the morning. And we have seen the morning. Okay? We have seen it. Okay? And, and, and we have opportunities in the midst of our difficulties to sing some of the songs we sang this morning with joy in our hearts following in the footsteps of this particular psalmist. What do you think? I am, I am a we want ice cream kind of guy. Uh, I want it, when I want something, I want it now. Okay? I don't want to wait for it. And, and especially when there are difficulties in my life, I want it to be alleviated now. That is, that is, that is what I see in my own heart. And so, so here the psalmist, you, hear, you feel him? He's saying, come with me. This is, this is a template for all of us. This is the path that, 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 that God himself has given to all of us as we walk, walk through difficult, difficult times having seen the resurrection, and now anticipating in a wee moment. Just, just, it's going to be just like that. He who is coming will come, and he will not delay. Okay. How are you doing? You, you walking along with the psalmist? There's one more stanza here, actually. If you notice, if you look, look carefully in this psalm, there are... He's speaking in different directions, different times. At first, the first stanza, he is calling to the Lord and leading us and calling us to the Lord. In the second stanza, he's talking 
to the Lord. He's talking to the Lord about his forgiving love. In the third stanza, he's speaking to his own heart. Given that there is forgiving love, I can wait. And that waiting is going to be, is going to be like the waiting of a watchman. Just, you know, it's almost sunrise. You can almost see it and you know it's going to come. Okay. But he goes one other place with this. And here, here again, I think it's a bit unexpected. Because, because typically in our sufferings, we feel some, somewhat neglected by God. We, we look around at each other and we see here, you know, here are people who are doing well. They don't realize that I'm sitting here in this pool of my own tears uh, as if God has neglected me. And the reality of the psalm is saying, do you realize that, that in, your, in your trials you have a God who is compassionate and he, is not, he does not only hear what, what's going on in your heart, but he is moved with compassion toward you. He has a unique affection for you. And he is on the move. And, and here's the final stanza. Now, now you're talking to Israel. Who would have thought? In the midst of your sufferings, you felt neglected and, and, and put on the shelf. Who would have thought that now you were going to speak publicly to, to the people, to the assembly? And, and the one who was hanging by his fingertips, he, he comes to you and he says, Oh, Israel, listen. You can put your hope in the Lord. Oh, no, by the way, you can hear, you can hear those words from two, in two different kinds of people. You know, one person who everything is going well in life, you can put your hope in the Lord, everything will go fine. And you hear those words, and you know, they probably register in some way. But if, if someone you know who is in the thick of misery, who has been able to follow this psalm, who has called out to the Lord, who has grown in forgiveness of sins and has been learning comfort and even joy in the midst of difficulties. When that person comes up here and says, put your hope in the Lord, you say, here's somebody who who knows what they're talking about. Uh, They are in it and they are speaking from their experience. He will sustain your hopes. Don't put your hope in, in animals who can rescue, in, in chariots that can rescue. Uh, put your hope in the Lord. With the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. There's a proverb that, that states the obvious. It says what we really want is unfailing love. Like we needed the Proverbs to tell us that. What we really want is unfailing love. And and the psalmist says that you have unfailing love. When you are unfaithful and your love toward the Lord waxes and wanes, here's what you can be certain of. His love is unfailing and unchangeable. I am... this, in some ways, is against the backdrop of idolatry. Uh, just a, a, a quick story here. Uh, I was in India one time and um, going to an ashram, a little temple where there was an idol, and just wanted to, just, just curious, and knocked on the door around 12 o'clock, and the priest came to the door and said, you can't come in right now. He said, so, well, the, the idol's being put to sleep. Hmm. Um, came back around 3 o'clock, can't come in yet. The idol is being woken up. Um, 
Hmm, that's curious. Um, and then I began to understand why there are 300 million idols in India, because, because somebody is always off duty. Uh, and, you know, as it began to add up the actual hours for this idol being on duty, it was like two hours. He's probably sleeping 10 to 12 hours a night. He has a nap that goes, goes basically from noon till 5. Uh, and then he's got to eat. And you know, that's, with that as the backdrop, the Lord says, you know, all the made-up, all the false gods in the world, okay, they... They are not with you, and their love is never unfailing. And he says, the one who never slumbers and never sleeps, he is the one who, who gives you more than you expected. The human heart desires unfailing love. And here is a person who is a consummate sufferer, and he says, put your hope in the Lord. Put your confidence in his unfailing love. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. For those of you who have walked this particular psalm, you have a duty at this point. The Spirit of the living God has been doing powerful work in your life, and now you must do the final stanza. I had the privilege of speaking with somebody between services uh, who did the final stanza with me, and it was wonderful. Somebody who was in the midst of it, who said that this is true, his faithful love and forgiveness of sins leads to joy that can count more than counterbalance the difficulties of life. You have an obligation to speak to your brothers and sisters that they can indeed put their hope in the Lord. If you are a neophyte with this particular psalm, then you... Then you nudge the person next to you. What stanza are you on? Okay. And could you guide, could you pray for me for this particular psalm? Because I want to do stanzas one, then two, and three, and stanza four. As I've had an opportunity to meditate twice on this particular psalm, and, and as, I, as I think of what is being impressed in my own heart, I, I, am, I am learning to call out to the Lord, even though that is much harder work than I expected. I, now what I want is, I want that Pauline knowledge of forgiveness of sins to be rapid. Okay. I want it to be rapid and powerful. Rather than to have it delayed a day or two in the midst of my suffering, uh, and finally get to the second stanza. I want, I aspire to have a waiting in the midst of difficulties. That is that wonderful, just like a day. This is, this suffering, it's just... Just momentary. In light of the fact that he is coming, yet he will not delay. Those are the stanzas that, that I seek to grow in. Which, which stanza is yours this morning? Which one do you want to grow in? Here's a template. It's, isn't it a wonderful psalm? Some psalms, they don't belong to everybody. But this one is for us all. It's for us all as as a community. And as a community, you can see it's a very public psalm. It's, the psalmist is saying, you speak to the Lord privately indeed, but allow it to be enacted publicly as, as you ask for help from your brothers and sisters and, and as you speak of the goodness of the Lord to your brothers and sisters. Let me pray. Lord, thank you. These are there's a way through uh, in the midst of our difficulties. Everything can seem so bleak. You can seem so distant. We thank you 
for ultimately these words. Ultimately, these words of the Messiah himself. And we are able to, to participate in the chorus that sings with the Messiah. May we be people who own all of these stanzas. In the name of Christ, amen. Let's stand together as a